Amen. Well, thank you to the team. Um, I'm sure you're giving them a little whoop at home uh, and clap. Uh, I do hope that you're all doing well this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but it feels like there's a sense of springtime in the air this uh, this weekend. Yesterday was just lovely. Um, blossom trees are out um, and we've got just a warmer air, isn't they? Just It's just nice to be out at the moment. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying the sense of springtime. But I also hope that there's a sense of springtime spiritually for us as well as a church. Actually, I feel like, you know, God's got so much for us, so much that he's doing right now, uh, so much that he's saying to people right now. Um, and it, there's a sense of new. There's a sense of God doing something new. Uh, and this morning we are starting a brand new sermon series. Um, we are going to be um, looking over the next uh, coming months a series of James going through the letter that James wrote and uh, I hope I'm excited about it I know that much but I hope that there's a sense that you're excited about it too uh, that, that through the power of the spirit that there just be a raised uh, level of excitement for what God can do through the power of his word and how he can challenge us and how he can change us um, through through his power through his strength so I really hope hope that that's the sense that you get this morning as we start this new series. Um, and although this morning we are going to start this new sermon series looking at <clears throat> the book of James, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to lay out really our heart as a church as to why we feel this is going to be a really good challenge for every single one of us who choose for it to be. Um, here's the thing, I believe there's plenty of people watching this stream this morning, plenty of people that catch up on it during the week, listening to it, that actually believe the gospel message and genuinely believe the gospel message. So they know without a doubt that Jesus Christ, he lived, he died, and he rose again. And now because of his life, death, and resurrection, that we are now clean and righteous before God, that we are children. You know, we've just been singing, I am loved by you. That is my identity. That's who I am. You see me as clean and pure because of what Jesus has accomplished in my life. And now we have the the promise of eternity with him. So don't hear what I'm not saying this one. That is the best thing we could ever hope to come to know in our lives. That's the best thing we could ever discover that we would be found by God and, and we would be respondent to the gospel message. But you know, it's, it's what James is going to argue and actually what scripture argues is that it's not just about, it's not good enough just to know the gospel message in our minds or even just in our hearts. It's not good enough just to know it. It's actually about allowing that message to transform us, to change us, to move us towards God and towards Jesus and towards his people and to challenge every single part of our lives. To know the gospel message and to be saved is, in, is incredible, but there's so much more than that that Jesus has for us. Jesus says, I came to bring life and life to the full, not, not just to bring you good news and then just to leave you the way that you are. There's always so much more with him. And as, as we go through the book of James together over the coming months, we're going to really deep dive into it and we're going to be opening up some real big challenges about our lives and the way that we live them, about trials that we have to have to come to terms with and temptation that we have to deal with or how we choose to give or, how we, or what we choose to give our time or our money to, all kinds of things about how we conduct ourselves, about how we behave. 
But the challenge for you and for myself this morning, for the challenge for the whole church, is are we willing to have open hearts for God to speak and to move in our lives? If we allow him by the power of his spirit, he is willing to transform us to, 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 from the inside out to be more like his son, Jesus. So right at the beginning of this new sermon series, I want us to start there. I want us to ask ourselves the question, hey, like, Lord, am I actually open to you changing me? Am I willing to be molded by you to be more like you? And am I allowing your spirit in, your, in my life, the Holy Spirit to come into my life and convict me of maybe where I'm not choosing to follow you? So, so let me just start by praying. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to open up uh, the book of James, but we're not actually going to be going into it, really. I'm going to be looking elsewhere. Um, but I'm going to start with a little introduction of who James is, um, who he wrote this letter for, and why he's written this letter. And then really what we're going to finish with this morning is that question, are we open to God changing us from the inside out over these coming months? And, and what I'm going to do to get us going in this sermon series is almost like a spiritual uh, pulse check. You know, we're going to check our spiritual pulse and we're going to ask God, okay, where are the areas in my life where I'm not truly following, where I'm not truly glorifying you? So I'm going to pray to get us started and then we're going to look at James and who he, he proposes himself to be in this letter and it's going to be a real challenge to us so father we just thank you for this morning we thank you for your word lord we thank you that yes we're like graham said at the beginning although we're not able to meet physically lord as a church we are still one with the test testimony joint testimony of jesus is our lord and savior and we aim to serve to worship him with our lives so Lord, we, we want to pray that this morning we would be open to you speaking to us. Help us, Lord, whatever we're doing right now, just to put it down and to give you our full attention. Whether we've got things going on in the background or whatever it is, Lord, that we would make time for you and say, Lord, I'm willing for you to speak to me, to change me this morning. Yeah, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's start with James. Who is he? Uh, why was this book written? Who was it written for? So James, in his Hebrew name, Jacob, Jacob, as we would call him uh, today, uh, he is the oldest, oldest of Jesus' siblings. Now, anyone watching this or listening to, listening to this, it's funny, I was actually having a conversation about siblings this morning, will know that having siblings at times at home, being at home with siblings is a, is a hard thing to have. I'm the oldest. I have a younger brother, younger sister. And so I'm the oldest, you know, the most responsible, all that type of thing. And, but actually with siblings, you're always competing. You're competing, uh, for your parents. You have to share your parents, your home, your toys, your clothes, your food, your parents' attention. It can be really hard being a sibling at, at times. Uh, surely there's some people saying amen to that at home. And for me, uh, I was quite a good kid, at least. Teenager, not so much, but kid. I was definitely a good kid. Um, I've seen pictures. I think I was a cute baby and toddler, if I am a bit biased. But I grew up with a younger brother, um, AC. Many of you know him. He works in the food bank here. Now, he came along, no competition. I was still the cutest in my eyes, still the best. You might disagree, and he might too. Uh, and so might my parents. But, but anyway, but then when I was five, my sister came along 
Amy, uh, and she was cute. She was nice. She was clever. She got all of the brains. She was slightly shy, but not too much where I was probably a little bit too loud, a little bit too forceful at times. Um, and I just couldn't compete with that. My sister was clearly going to be the favorite from then on, right? Life as a sibling can be hard. And no doubt you all have your stories and your jokes about being the parent's favorite and who is the parent's favorite and all that type of thing. But I want you to imagine for a second that your older brother was Jesus. Like, although he was the half-brother of, of James for obvious reasons, because, you know, they didn't share the same dad. Um, you know, he had a heavenly father, but they shared the same mother and they grew up in the same house and they still have Joseph as the head of the home. Um, I want you to imagine your older brother is Jesus. Your half-brother is Jesus. He's the standard setter in the home for how children should behave. Never in trouble, never sinned, always respectful to his parents. I mean, he was God in man. He was God in child and, and teenager and God in man. Imagine being compared to your older brother. Well, Jesus would never speak to me like that, James. You know, imagine that, right? That must be really hard. And this was true for James. He had to grow up with Jesus as his standard setter in the home. That must have been hard for him. And, and, and we know that James didn't always understand who his brother was, who Jesus was, and what he had come to do. Uh, John 7, verse 5, around the festival of the tabernacles, we see this dialogue between Jesus and his siblings. And, 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 uh, and we tells us there that even his brothers didn't believe in who Jesus was. And later in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus' family. So like, you know, his family are coming to grab hold of Jesus because they think he's lost his senses. Like they're saying like, you know, you're going to get killed by the Pharisees. You're going crazy. What are you doing? Healing people and, you know, doing all these things that are upsetting the locals. So they come to take custody of him. Um, so we know for sure that James didn't always understand who his brother was or what it was that he'd come to do. But it certainly doesn't remain that way. And actually, uh, an, a fact that's hugely overlooked is who Jesus uh, decided to visit as in his resurrected form. He appears to the Apostle Paul. We all know that story. It's this crazy story, isn't it? Of Paul being blinded and, and really this big transformation in his life becoming Saul to Paul. And, and we hear about Thomas, you know, the doubter and all these types of things that go on. But actually, Jesus comes to visit his little brother too, James. He comes to see him in Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. Paul talks about, he says, for what I've received, I've passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas. He, then he appeared to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then... He appeared to James, went to see his little brother. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. James was, was he got to meet the, in physical flesh, the risen Jesus. And G, James was also among the disciples in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is given as a gift. James is listed as one of those people who is there and present. And as a result of these life-altering events that happen, James becomes somebody who is utterly convinced that his older brother, his half-brother, is, is, is not just only the sinless man. You know, he's got to watch him grow up in the home. 
And he's watched the way that Jesus is interacted with his earthly parents. He's watched everything about him. And he's become utterly convinced that Jesus is sinless. He is perfect. He is God incarnate. And he died and he rose again. And James is convinced that he has seen the risen Jesus, this person who was killed on a cross, very, very brutally and physically and clearly dead. And yet he stands before him as this resurrected savior, Messiah. And James is convinced that this is him and that he is going to live the rest of his life devoted to Jesus. And I just want you to stop and think about that testimony for a second. Here is somebody described by the Gospels as absolutely sure that Jesus was not who he said he was, only to be willing to lay down the rest of his life because he is convinced and knows without any shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the risen Savior, the long-awaited Messiah. James would go on to live and teach and lead the church in Jerusalem. We read Acts 21. James is leading the church there in Jerusalem, established there. And he's got a team of elders um, and, and he's literally devoted to spreading the gospel to thousands upon thousands of Jews who have chosen to follow Jesus. And James was still known for attending the temple in Jerusalem and praying. In fact, he was on his knees, you know, the stone, stone floor in the temple. He was on his knees praying so much that they, he was given the nickname Camel Knees. You, know, you can just imagine that picture. And even the opponents, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they couldn't find any fault with James, apart from the fact that he was teaching that, Je- that Jesus was the, the long-awaited Messiah. They, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't find any other fault in him. James, though, for him, this would be his undoing. His works and his words <clears throat> drew the attention of the zealous and jealous religious elite his words and, and, and his actions, they attracted Jews to come and follow Jesus. And the anti-Jesus powers of the day, they eventually had enough, as they did with many, many people in those times. And the historian Eusebius, he tells us that James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and he was beaten with a club in AD 62. He was martyred and killed for his faith in Jesus. This, this, this man who was at one point didn't even know what Jesus was talking about to being someone who was willing to die, to give up his life. And that's a short snippet of his life. He wrote this letter. <clears throat> he wrote this letter for Jewish Christians everywhere. They were scattered far and wide. And although many of the Jews, they lived in Jerusalem or the surrounding area, there was still plenty that were kind of far flung across the empire um, from the Babylonian, the Assyrian exiles. And I think with all that we've learned there about James, the start of his letter, the start of this book, is really telling into what sort of person he was into his heart's position when it came to Jesus and when it came to serving God. The start of this letter is really telling because James chapter one, verse one, it starts by saying this, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice it doesn't start with James of the tribe of Judah, of, of, of the house of David, of the royal line of kings or James, the eldest brother of Jesus, the son of God, <laughs> or James, the first, the first pastor of the Christian church. It simply says, James, 
servant of God. Now in the Greek, the word servant, in, in, in the NIV it says servant, it might say something different in your translation, but the word servant is, is translated from the Greek doulos. And doulos is neither, it's not a free man, it's not a hired servant. The word's better described as a slave, the rightful property of his master. Now the term slave, however, it didn't carry the same degrading connotation attached to the word today, and rightly so. But it was more, it was more James saying, Hey, I'm a slave who is proud to belong body and soul to God and to Jesus. This is what I choose for my life. And I think that gives us a really amazing insight into who he was, into his perception of himself or what he was called, who he was called to be by God. But what James is going to do throughout this book, and hopefully for each one of us who choose to accept the challenge, is he's going to ask us as, as followers of Jesus to get serious about following him. And that's every aspect in our lives. Now, in the coming months, we're going to do just that. And, and we're going to, as, an, as a team, we're going to open up this book together with the whole church. But this morning, I felt God wanted us to stop there and to take a spiritual pulse in terms of where we're at. And I feel like God's saying, are you truly serious about following me? Are you serious about living your life for me? Not chasing titles, not chasing recognition from others or careers. But here I am, Mike, Benny, you know, Ray, Diraj, whoever, put your own name there and saying, here I am, Mike. And I am a servant of God. That's enough for me. You know, I feel like God wants to do some serious business with us as a church over these coming months. Whether it's some sin that you've been battling with for years, whether it be chains that bind you and tie you up, fear, anxiety, stress, brokenness, unforgiveness. And I just feel God saying this morning, church, like, I, I want you to get serious about these things. I want to get serious about these things with you. But first, you need to get serious about me. You see, the thing is, God's not calling us to just be so-so with him, just to take what he says with a pinch of salt. He's not calling us just to be lukewarm, as scripture calls it. He's calling us to follow him with everything that we have. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through four questions and I'm going to just open those up a little bit and I'm just going to respond to those questions with scripture. I'd encourage you, if you're at home right now and you can just grab a, a pen and a pad, we're going to send these out during the week as well, but just reflect on these questions. And I think this is a great way of just checking our pulse and saying, God, how, how am I doing with you? How am I, how am I doing in my relationship with you? So I'm going to start by just reading the scripture of something that God, that, that Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.15. He says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, you're not my servant. You're not really laying your life down is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You see, Jesus desires for us is to, desire for us is, is to be red hot for him, not to be lukewarm, not to just be sore sore with him, but to be burning hot 
So like I said, let's just go through these questions. I'm going to ask these questions of you. And look, I'm not asking you, and I don't want you necessarily to respond to me. It's not about, it's about you and God. It's about you and your heavenly father and being honest with him. So as the spirit comes and speaks to you, and I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you just come and convict us where we need convicting? And I really need convicting, Lord. I need you to point out in my life where it is that I'm not truly following you, giving you my all being serious about you. So Lord, just come and convict each and every one of us where we do in that loving way that you do. and Gently remind us of how you're going to love us into a different place. Yeah, in Jesus' name. So, so let's go through these questions. Just open yourself up to God speaking to you. Number one, how do you manage your finances in your home? Are you pursuing earthly riches at the cost of being spiritually poor? So a few questions to open that up. Do you spend more time thinking about finances than you do about others? Do you give regularly and generously or do you withhold gifts? Do you spend far too much time and money on yourself rather than on other people? Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's question number one. How do you manage your finances? Are you pursuing earthly riches at the cost of being spiritually poor? Question number two. Is your focus on being self-sufficient and in need of nothing, but deep down you're making yourself more lonely? I see some questions to open that up. Do you hide your needs from your friends, from your family, and from church members out of embarrassment? When you struggle with temptation, sin, or addiction, do you try and conquer it alone, or do you seek help? When making life decisions, do you go through it yourself with a calculator and with your own wisdom, or do you seek the counsel of others? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the other one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is no one to lift them up. So the first question is, are you working on making yourself more sufficient, self-sufficient, but deep down, really, you're just making yourself more lonely? Question three, do you take seriously the sin in your life? So open that up. Do you compare your spiritual life and growth to other people rather than the perfect standard of Jesus. So do you look at your life and think, well, I'm doing better than that guy, rather than looking at Jesus as the perfect example? Do you allow small sins to linger in your life because they aren't really harming anybody, are they? When nobody is looking, do you say or do things that you wouldn't want others to see? 
Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is a living, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far, uh, far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Last question. So that, that, sorry, the last one was, do you take seriously the sin in your life? And the last one is, do you believe your life is clothed in good works, but you are actually spiritually naked? So questions to open that up. Are you satisfied with simply having faith without a changed lifestyle to go with it? Do you often point out personal good works for others to see? Or do you keep your deeds personal between you and God? Do you have a persona you wear around church, church people that is significantly different from how you act around close family and friends? Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And James 2.19 to 20, we're going to be going into this in a in a few weeks, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But, you were, you, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So that's my last question. Do you believe your life is clothed in good works, but you are actually spiritually naked? I know that's a lot to take in. I know it's a lot of questions, a lot of points. But I think we know straight away where we stand on those things, how we're doing in those things, how our pulse rate is reading in those things. And I'm going to have those questions sent out in the week so you can all just reflect on them. And I'd encourage you just to find time on an evening or early morning or whenever it is and just grab a coffee, sit down and just reflect and say, God, Holy Spirit, just come and speak to me on how I'm doing. Read through those scriptures and and just take in what it is that Jesus wants to say to you. But here's the thing. This is where I want to finish this morning. I believe God's desire for us as a church. In fact, I don't just believe, I know without a shadow of a doubt that his desire for us is to be burning, red hot for him. Not lukewarm, but red hot for him. His desire is for us as a church to be overflowing in the gifts of the fruit, (laughs) gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit. And to look completely different from the world around us. I feel like God's saying, I want to move in your life. But do you want me to move? Those things that you've been struggling with for years, I want to move. I have the power to break those chains, to set you free, to deal with those things. But do you want me to do that? I'm really looking forward to going through the rest of the series together as a church. But this morning I felt it was a time where as a church we said, God, we want to get serious about you. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be on fire for you, Jesus.